This isn't a fucking conspiracy. This is real life, and people are fucking dying. Hey guys, this is Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find us on the No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major auto packagers, and Rumble as well. This episode probably will not be going up on YouTube uh, due to the topic. We'll be covering the Finders Cult today. I have Austin Picard with me. I'm very excited to talk to him. Before we get into it, I do want to remind you guys how this works. Uh, for my patrons, you usually receive this roughly about a week early or so, depending on the schedule. And uh, you, the lowest amount for that's two bucks. The highest amounts, my sponsors, I read them off every t every episode. I have Toad, who's my co-host on Tower Gang. Follow him on Twitter at Tower Gang Toad at Abrogate D's. Then Kevin B. Clark, a full-time guitarist and private music teacher in the New York area. So if you're looking for someone for a gig or you're looking for someone teaching music, he's your guy at Z. O-V-E-R-A-C-K, then at underscore infinite zeal, then Jacob Daniel, the Biblical Anarchy podcast, follow him at Biblical Anarchy, then also my buddy Tim Tuttle at Jolly on Klebold, he's actually uh, who made that intro right there, that banger, part of why I probably can't put it on YouTube, but worth it. Uh, and all right, yeah, the, I want to say, oh yeah, oh, I almost forgot the last guy. Uh, they also have at Stinky Sock 420. Uh, he's a singer in a, the Bender hardcore band. Uh, I checked out some of his music, pretty dope. Uh, definitely need to go dig into it some more. And I suggest you guys do the same. Let's get my guest on here because I am excited to talk to him. What's up, my friend? How you doing? What's up, Jose? Thanks for having me on, brother. Yeah, I did that. I did that that intro quick because I was excited. We chatted for a good like fifteen minutes before we started. Uh, we have an interesting story, me and you, uh, and how <laughs> how we came about. Uh, but uh, let I guess you can kind of let the audience know some of that. Let them know who you are, what you're about, kind of maybe the things that interest you. I know we're talking about the Finders Cult today, but it, I'm also open this to be a little bit more conversational as opposed to being completely topic uh, driven. Uh, although that is kind of what is driving the discussion somewhat here, uh, and we'll probably do more of them because this is like a fairly deep topic. Uh, but uh, it, yeah, anyways, I'll pass it off to you, bud. Sounds good, buddy. So basically, I've said this before. I, I'm pretty much just completely disillusioned by the political process in almost every way. And so I felt the need to um, unplug and search for alternative narratives that seem to make a lot more sense, right, than the narratives were, I mean, continually fed repeatedly by state-sponsored media, you know, propping up these cover-up narratives that, I mean, at a certain point, like, I get, I understand being careful, but at the same time, like, you know, how, how many coincidences can we believe in, right? Like, <laughs> once it's all said and done, so. Do, do you watch uh, Sam's show with, uh, with uh, Brian Callen? I have, but I, I don't watch every episode. Okay, those the interactions are what I think of. Where it's like there'll be time. Don't get me wrong. Sam goes a little crazy for those people who like to be like you know try to <laughs> stick it stick it straight with the facts. But like right. Brian Callen, there are a few exchanges where just like I just listened to it today. They were talking about OKC for like a ten minute, and I, I was just like, it. oh my god. He's like, they wouldn't do that. There's no way they wouldn't do it. Right. Every you're like, what? But anyway, oh, sorry. <laughs> he's like the nicest guy, but he's also like. <laughs> 
his dad's CIA. So it kind of makes sense. You know what I mean? But yeah. anyway, I love Sam so much. He, I think that that's what's so great about him is that it's hilarious the way he packages things. But at the same time, it's like he drops bombs, dude, you know, and like you got to oh, yeah. be prepared for it. But anyway, so I pretty much was spurred to start a podcast throughout COVID just from being, you know, significantly isolated from my difference in opinion, you know, as far as like how how I was, uh, you know, not really changing much my behavior, <laughs> like whatsoever. <laughs> um, um, but uh, anyway, I just felt like I needed to find my people, you know, and so I, I definitely like I, I admire you know, a lot of the ANCAPs, you know, that that style of, of philosophy, um, you know, from the Austrian school. I think I, I just from all of the different philosophical perspectives that I've researched, it seems like it just seems like the most legitimate to me that, you know, it, it makes sense. Oh, my God, we have to be responsible for ourselves. What a concept, you know, it's just <laughs> it doesn't seem that difficult, but you have to be exposed to it, like to have that alternative perspective, like I said, or you're not even going to going to understand how to interpret modern economics, you know, let alone what the hell we're doing in America. <laughs> like, you know, it's just the, so I needed something that would be able to define the paradigm and the reality that we live in that is only going, uh, you know, it's it's on a fast track to hell, basically. You know what I mean? We're we're oh, yeah, we're going sure. nowhere good fast. But, <laughs> okay, uh, I'd say that, but I, I do disagree because of interactions like this. And I think uh, yeah. And uh, and we were talking before the show. You were saying that you were kind of like you just now. Like I went through your whole like essentially your portfolio of podcasts, and it's like banger upon banger upon banger. But you've just been kind of just chilling, doing your art, your craft in the corner, and now you're kind of then like you like are are with now you're you're mingling. You're, 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 Right. So like no, now you're, right. you're coming to your people. And I, I think once you, you start mingling more, you will start being like, oh, shit. Well, there's a lot of us out here. And like they, they say us, not in like an ANCAP sense, but just like people right. thinking similarly. And right. I think uh, I think and there's a lot of people that there's a lot of like weaponized like genius in, in these like, these sorts of communities, <laughs> like just by social movements coming together and kind of making it a reality. Right. But anyways, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I, I don't I just, mean to I don't mean to like come on with a black pill or anything yeah. like like i i do believe there's hope yeah. and, I, and i'm not trying to simplify it but it, it does seem to be like either the great awakening or the great reset is going to you know take the day it, it well, does what i was going to get way. at is in a certain yeah. context you're right i think it's like almost like a both it's just a matter of which side do you choose would you like where where are you going to gravitate towards i'm with like you, what side of this divide <laughs> are you going to be on <laughs> so. yeah. yeah i and that like I, I'm trying to internalize that philosophically for myself because like, you know, you know how it gets like you, you, you spend too much time in the darkness, right. With, with some of these subjects, especially like what we're going to talk about today. Like, man, it's hard to resurface whole. Like I talked about that in, in my episode, like I feel like a part of me died almost like when I come back and uh, you know, at least that shows that you're you're passionate and you care about about these issues. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it, it does weigh heavy, you know, mm -hmm. on, on your soul a little bit. But um, at the same time, I think you're right. There there is a great awakening taking place. And I mean, we we have to be able to to just our own lives in our own lives implement some sense of of the world we want to live in right and so we have to manifest that for ourselves you can still be happy you can mm -hmm. have uh you know a wonderful life with your family and um and everything can still be okay even though you know <laughs> our country could potentially be burning <laughs> down around <laughs> us you know what i mean, I mean yeah but you, you set but, down uh roots that that make it yeah. so that uh you know you're preparing in the long 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 term of just like setting down these skills even if it's just yeah. like what we're doing of creating connections building up knowledge you know value right. or just and just doing something so like many people don't still, do anything <laughs> exactly but you can still achieve prosperity 
mm-hmm. on an individual basis to a certain degree. Like, yeah, I'm not, we're not going to be in the ANCAP utopia where, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but but at the same time, it's like, you know, we have to we have to see the good. We have to see the beautiful in life, you know, as often as we can. And and I think that's the only way to to approach life, you know, mm-hmm. philosophically. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> no, I, th- I think it's a good starting point for the discussion we're going to because it is dark. It's dark stuff and has dark implications because once you start, you know, connecting the dots to other events, especially since this is an event that was set a little bit, you know, what was it like uh, somewhere between the 50s to the 80s? I think that it was supposedly going on. I don't know if it, maybe they quibble about the dates. Yeah, that I mean, it, it could have even been it. 30s and 40s from apparently yeah. like Marion Petty was involved even all the way back then with like. Hate Ashbury style, like mm-hmm. open houses. It's, it's such a crazy story. Yeah. Um, so, though, so just the idea that that ca- this thing, this thing that like most people don't even really know about carried on for that long. And then the kind of the implications of that. And then also, if you kind of like then mirror yourself back to like, you know, juxtaposing that against the modern day and like, what does this happening then mean for now? Like, what can I draw any sort of not conclusions, but reasonable inferences from this? <laughs> so and I think you can. This is like we were talking before and I was like, this is where um, like because a lot of people like to think some of these create like a lot of conspiracy people are just crazy people. It's like this is where you can come from it and be like, you know, what? I'm the skeptic here saying maybe wow. this all is just some giant cabal that's all arranged and everything's just so these lizard people can diddle kids and eat their souls or whatever. <laughs> like yeah. you're like, this is where you're like, OK, well, I can see where you're coming from. <laughs> right. And it really so, does seem like, you know, I mean, they, they were for sure some mk ultra style techniques that were being used by the finders and and i mean it seems almost like project monarch you know like like sexual trauma breaking down the psyche implementing you know um uh what's it called when when you have uh multi-personality disorder yeah, there's a dual, different dual consciousnesses or yeah or right there's ter- there's terms for it i know yeah, what you mean definitely because that was one of the main goals mk ultra was to inflict yeah. trauma to where they'll make separate psyches that sometimes whether or not they want them to they may or not even interact with each other exactly so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it is really crazy but and and that reminds me like even with uh because there was this guy that sent um he sent a um let me see. I have it right here. So Congressman Leo Ryan's aide, who this had to do with Jonestown. I just want to mention it real quick because it makes a lot of sense with the MK Ultra and how they had investigated MK Ultra, right? And, and and those hearings were in, you know, the early 70s, right? And it was right after that that basically the, the claim is that MK Ultra was driven underground. <clears throat> and so basically Congressman Leo Ryan, who died at Jonestown, his aide, William Holsinger, he 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 claimed this, that he feared that the CIA might have been running a covert operation at Jonestown so sinister it would shock even hardened CIA watchdogs. In 1980, Holsinger, who'd already discovered Richard Dwyer's presence at Jonestown, who was a CIA guy, um, received a paper from a professor at UC Berkeley called The Penal Colony. And this paper detailed how the CIA's mind control program, MKUltra, was not stopped in 1973, as the CIA had told Congress. Instead, the paper reported it had merely been transferred out of public hospitals and prisons into the more secure confines of religious cults. And then he says that he believes that Jonestown was one of those religious cults. Right. And I just thought that fits really well with with what i mean because really consider like all the different cults sprouting up during this time you know the satanic panic that that was about to occur and to me it almost feels like even manson think about the implications of manson stuff going like like that's earlier stuff then you you have like the 90s where it's like i mean that's a lot of people don't realize if you dig dig a few inches deep down the surface of like the uh like uh okc mcveigh type you know lore there's there's that too there's the the weird cults running around (laughs) wasn't there either mcveigh himself or some one of the feds that was chilling with mcveigh at the time was like trying to distribute child pornography 
I remember uh, there was something about You're probably that. thinking of more. Uh, and he said he had bootlegged porn. And uh, a lot of people have made assumptions on that. And then okay. I will say okay. uh, that was in one. I forget specifically I where that was reported. That. But but that was the quote that it was uh, bootlegged porn in quote. Bootleg. But it's like, okay. why okay. are you getting busted by the, I think I want to say it was the ATF at the time that he got it was like some sort of sting. Uh, I think he was also that might be the same time he was also selling uh, trying to sell explosives to someone. <laughs> wow. <That's laughs> I, I might be remembering correctly, but those are both things right. that happened. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but uh, I just, my, I, my mind was blown when that happened, though, because like I have just read how like if I that, by the way, real quick, if I had to yeah. guess, my guess mm -hmm. it would be like that was gay porn or something along those. But it could you have been so? kitty porn. It would just I be mean, my assumption if he's trying to. Yeah, it's just so weird, like to covertly distribute legal porn. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, well, this is the '90s, so I think the idea oh, okay, of being a black, right. he's, yeah, he's, right, he's also. Right. I think there's some element of Roger Moore of the he operates to some extent in blackmail. So I, that's like, what I was about to say, though. Yeah, was that yeah. it seemed like, and you know that could very well be that it was just gay porn that they were trying to blackmail someone on, or like, you know, entrap them in a blackmail operation of some kind, but. But I, I mean, that that was kind of what I was going to mention is that. And I mean, we I've seen people go as far to even claim that, you know, it's it's very simple to uh, for the, the NSA or the feds to they have the ability to very easily access your computer hard drive. And all they have to do is, yep. is uh, yeah, all of a sudden you have child porn on your computer and. And what are you going to say about that? You know, yeah. I mean, I, it's, yeah. It, you're, you're fucked. Yeah. At that point, yeah. It, it, like there's no, there's no public support being built around you. There's nothing like, even <laughs> if you're one of the most not. beloved figures, like you'd have to be stupid level yeah. of clout to be able to get a following to be like, this is no. bullshit. I mean, no. don't get me wrong. There'd be people like me and you, they'd be like, well, this dude was looking into some shit that makes me think that maybe you're fucking lying to me. But right. even then we're not going to go out on a limb and be like, this is horseshit. No, no, never, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it unless it's a friend almost, of ours or some yeah, shit. Yeah, to me, that, that just means, I mean, it's strategically, why would that not have happened? You know, yeah. I mean, with as, as many things that, you know, we know have been proven. But anyway, I just thought what a crazy concept that is in general, you know, to consider that. But yeah, anyway, no, but it like it, it once you start seeing those schizo threads, you, mm -hmm. you kind of are like, oh, makes so much fucking sense, though. Right. <laughs> no, seriously, it's the same as like, like, for some reason, I never really considered like, no, of course, like there are victims, you know, that they were basically like, I mean, just consider uh, Zorro Ranch, Epstein's New Mexico property. I mean, there were reports that he basically had a farm of victims where he was just he was trying to seed babies in these in, in these victims. And so to me, it's in, it, like I just never really considered, And I think most people don't the the idea that you know, there have been lifelong victims whose they've given birth to babies in that environment who then grew up as a lifelong victim of these different pedophilic, pedophilic rings or, or, you know, and it's just, that's extraordinary to me. You know what I mean? Like I just, I feel like more people need to think that through as, as yeah. a reality because yes. and, there are and it's, it's such a thing that gets scoffed off though by people of like really oh, like the, oh there's rich and powerful abusing their rich and their 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 uh, uh, uh like their power how could they ever get away with this and it's like i've like started like i didn't really like the show's kind of slowly morphed into a parapolitics show but like when i started it was very much theory because i was coming from there like my journey is like i kind of was super religious as a kid then kind of like then broke away from that coming from a place of logic looking into it then from right. like like that logic like kind of tools i learned then from there i learned like started like applying that to political philosophy and started like kind of understanding you know just getting better at logic goes and then you get to a point where i have this like logical understanding of government being evil and how there are perverse incentives like oh, like God. and you're but you just don't really it doesn't really click until you really then get into like the parapolitics world and you're like here are specific examples of what power will do, what a structure like this will 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 create. <laughs> like, no, I mean, the sweetheart deal alone that Epstein was given by you know 
and Acosta. I mean, the whole thing is just insane, right? But and now consider how many people are really talking about Ghislaine still. I mean, that that entire situation is just so underreported on. It's but you know, it did wake up a lot of people when Epstein died. I have to say that at least like just average random people were coming to me whenever that happened. I <laughs> you know, but yeah. Which you know, that should be, I think that should be a big white pill. I feel like if you look at the discourse on this topic, like yeah. say stuff kind of like in the roughly Pizzagate, like the discourse on that is people have turned around because they've been gaslit so long about like shit like Epstein of like, well, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And then like no one within that like respectable class really ha hardly ever addressing it. Whereas like the, the peasantry is clamoring like and like you get to a point to where like you like people start noticing and they go, oh. Oh, oh, this guy, oh shit, this dude, this pedophile uh, was fucking connected with you guys? Uh -huh. Like, uh, I mean, like, I get it, like, I mean, like, they're, we, theoretically, if we're going to pr follow proper lo lo logic, we're not going to go, well, therefore, this is a perfect case for this. But right. you're like, no, uh, we're just seeing a lot of patterns here. A lot, right. a lot, a lot, a lot of patterns. Right. And it's getting concerning. <laughs> and that's, that's like, and that's the craziest thing with Pizzagate, is that it's very similar in the way that the satanic panic was used in the in the state sponsored media as basically a tool for the cover up, in my opinion. And and um, it seems like and I can't say for certain, but it seems like Pizzagate was also a media trope for that exact, you know, intended to be used for that exact purpose. And because I know that we, you can't come away from Pizzagate right now and say, like, you know, for certain that, you know, children were abused in, 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 uh, uh, in that pedophilic ring, if that's what you believe. But at the same time, there are just so many unusual, extreme, extraordinary circumstances in regard to Pizzagate that it's, it's impossible to dismiss. Like, I mean, just Podesta's yeah. art alone is yeah. absurd. And, 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 and people need to realize on the flip side of this, like if we're saying that, hey, this is a possibility, then we're also right. saying on the flip side, think about the capabilities of the individuals who would do such a thing. Like exactly. what kind of evidence would you see? Because that's a common thing with things we talk about will be like, oh, well, you want to posit the theory that maybe the the government possibly did this themselves or something you're like and you can be in a situation where you're like i don't have any foolproof things but i'm like if you just look at this this and this like that seems like the logical like i'm not saying that is like the you know i'm not asserting that i'm just saying that's a logical theory yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. and, and it'll get, get scoffed off yeah but, sorry go ahead for sure no it's okay i just i, I just got done doing a pizzagate episode and and honestly I can't, you know, I came out of it more convinced that it's credible and that, that there's some credibility there. That's all, all I'm, I will say, you know, but, um, I mean, Marina Abramovich, I mean, all of it, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, David yeah. Brock media matters. I mean, it's just absolutely insane that there's that much crossover. And then you have Andrew Breitbart who like, I mean, right before he was, uh, well, I mean, I guess he died, but seems a little unusual um i mean he he was on the warpath for uh podesta right i mean he was literally saying like he, he he had a tweet that said he was basically uh um he was basically a he was covering up all of these different pedophilic crimes i'm trying i'm trying to remember what his actual tweet was because it is super important and uh it's not very long, but he basically called him uh, a cover-upper of pedophile networks, you know, and this was like in 2011 and he died in 2012. It was less than a year. And he had uh, made all these just extraordinary claims about how John Podesta and Tony Podesta uh, were involved with covering up a pedophile network that led back to David Brock and also potentially led back to <laughs> it's like i gotta find the tweet but we'll move on but i yeah. i will find it in a minute and i'll let you know because yeah it's completely insane that he would come out and say that straightforward mm -hmm. and and nobody take that seriously and then on top of that it's even it's it's just considered you're in kook territory you know you're you're so yeah, no, it's crazy. Know. We we get labeled the crazy ones, but like 
this is a thing I've been thinking about while, and uh, Shane Cashman's kind of has a concept that he's talked about with it too, but like living, having like a, like a multiple realities type thing, but then like almost like there's base, like there's a, there's like true reality and there's just like this artificial reality that's imposed upon us. And like with all these infiltrations we see of different fed groups in different areas, different spheres, and they all kind of branch out from like, it's like a cancer rotting. It's almost creating like a different reality. So that my, like, for example, with like the nineties, like the satanic panic, I think the in flexive like move for a lot of people was to just write it off as some crazy panic because they're like this sounds like fucking nonsense because it is fucking nonsense that the feds are doing (laughs) and so like this is where you see like you know when like i covered a recently an episode from aberration where i was talking about like the fed infiltration the ufo community and you hear some of the craziest shit and you're like okay but this like this whole movement has been like bloviated by a fed infestation that's just been like giving false information and sending them on different weird little wacky goose chases and so like that like i don't know like once you start digging into like some of the religions that undergird this too then you're like this all sounds wonky and you're like you know why because it fucking is wonky and they're just like people that see these ideas as tools to be used to further their power and they just dick with them (laughs) but i did i did did find what andrew bright Breitbart did say so he was the journalist political commentator that founded Breitbart and HuffPost right and just before his controversial death in March of 2012 he had given a speech in Washington at the conservative political action conference claiming he had video evidence that would end President Obama's political career the coroner who conducted Breitbart's preliminary autopsy would conveniently die within hours of the released report from what was declared arsenic poisoning And Andrew Breitbart made it very clear leading up to his timely death that he had a healthy disdain for specifically John Podesta, which began to make a lot more sense after the Podesta emails went public. And a 2016 report from, uh, dude, it's so crazy because, and uh, Ryan Christian, he reported on this at The Last American Vagabond, but uh, apparently Breitbart had attempted to call out Media Matters and this is what he said in in, in uh, the tweet, by the way, that I was mentioning earlier. So he said <laughs> that on this was a February 4th, 2011. How prog guru John Podesta isn't a household name as world-class underage sex slave op cover-upper defending unspeakable dregs escapes me, right? And I just thought like, that's pretty straightforward, buddy. You know what I mean? And then all the weird, just unusual circumstances around his death. But um, anyway, I guess, we, it, I guess we probably ought to get in the topic. I'm just having fun shooting the shit with you. Yeah, a little, I'm also going to let a little secret slip to the audience. I'm on muscle relaxers right now. So I'm just like enjoying <laughs> the conversation, forgetting about that we have a topic to talk about. Uh, yeah, uh, for those who aren't aware, if you follow my Twitter, I did mention something about it, but I did. I hurt myself recently, pulled the muscles. So I'm, I'm kind of leaning on a cane right now on muscle relaxers. <laughs> Prescribed. Not that I care about whether I break the law or not, but just, you know, throwing that out there. <laughs> I'm not just abusing drugs for the fun of it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah let's, let's, let's get into what it is. Uh, cause I think we've, I, I don't think we actually even really for our audience spelled it out and I'm not, that's not a criticism. That's my, that's, that's my fault. I'm the host. <laughs> uh, but let, let's like, what, like, how would you kind of give a quick breakdown? Obviously right. where the whole series is kind of like a further breakdown, but just kind of a synopsis of what the finders cult is for my audience. Cause this definitely. is like something I know about. I think a lot of people that kind of get like to our depth of like digging into this kind of stuff, definitely have heard about, maybe not dug into it, but I mm-hmm. feel like for the vast majority of people, even people like kind of of dipping their toes in the waters of here most of them probably haven't heard of it so right. it'd probably be good to kind of just give them a quick little uh what it is uh before we really get into the depravity of this nonsense definitely yeah and it, it's uh and i promise i will i just want to say right before <laughs> that uh when i uh, uh i went i was gonna i honestly i was i was trying to research to do the franklin cover-up that was going to be an episode i was i was going to cover and i did uh, inevitably do that but so i go in attempting to research the franklin cover-up and the franklin scandal 
And then I came out with a podcast on the Finders cult. And I was just like, okay, well, I guess Many I'll have such to cover the Franklin scandal later. <laughs> you know that is mean? a feature of this kind of research. Is it all to, like, like people that you sound crazy, everything ties into each other, but it's like, it fucking does. It's so many of the same yeah. players. <laughs> exactly. But so the many same players, crossover concepts, everything, but go on. Right. So the Finders basically came into public awareness after an arrest took place in Tallahassee, Florida in 1987. And like I said, peak satanic panic, it seems more and more to me like the media trope that we mentioned a moment ago. And it seemed like a plausible enough cover up narrative for the, you know, to seed into the public consciousness. And it, it clearly did cover up real examples of satanic ritual abuse and allowed it to continue unabated. And I mean, I, it's hard for me because, you know, like I've heard so many people that they like, you know, that they have to defend Satanism and all of this. And, and I understand like, you know, it's not Anton LaVey or whatever. It's, it's yeah. definitely I, like a more, I was a, cringe, Crowley. I was a cringe Reddit atheist once too. I get it. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Like I get it. Like when I say satanic and I'm saying it in this context, exactly. I'm meaning these weird motherfuckers think they're doing something here. And I, sure. I don't I mean, I mean, some kind of a cult ritual, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. some kind of a cult ritual and, it, you know, it seems pretty evil. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe it may not be Satan, maybe it's Baphomet or fucking Moloch, yeah, exactly. but like, exactly. uh, we're, we're just kind of using generalizations here so we don't have to have this stupid conversation and get into the weeds. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But so around the exact same time that the Finders cult became exposed, I mean, consider that the Mar McMartin preschool sexual abuse scandal and investigation was taking place from 84 to 87. And then the subsequent trial that happened between 87 and 1990. And if that's not enough, right after that was the Franklin scandal, which erupted in 88, you know, so that was, you know, within a year. Right. Yeah. And so the official narrative surrounding the group that it's basically been a huge whitewash like that they claim that it's so it's very generous like if, if you look up the finders uh on just even wikipedia or something like they legitimately do describe the finders as in the spirit of Mohandas Gandhi and Martin Luther King, the finders believed in complete passivity when faced with assertive official authority and that the movement was loosely based on the teachings and writings of the ancient Chinese Taoist philosopher Lao Tzu. And in February of 87, it's, it's like this is when the case became exposed because that was when the arrest occurred in February of 87 because an anonymous phone tip was called into the Tallahassee police department. And they reported that six children were dirty, hungry, and acting like animals in the custody of two well-dressed men in a Tallahassee, Florida park. I think it was Myers park or something. And, um, so immediately it was really crazy because I mean, all the usual suspects, the, the New York Times, the Washington Post, I mean, there, there were immediately stories began to emerge that were basically, you know, making these claims of satanic ritual abuse, international child trafficking rings, evidence of child abuse confirmed and later denied. And then ties with the CIA, which was alleged to have interfered in the case. Right. And so nobody ever got prosecuted by the way and uh after, and especially in the wake of the 87 investigation but even after that when there was a new inquiry opened up in 1993 into the allegations of CIA involvement and a potential cover up uh i mean they still maintain their denial like the CIA spokesperson and i'll get into that uh later but um like inevitably it was like it did not take long and as soon as the the FBI basically covered up the original case in 87, and I think it was on the behest of the CIA if if uh, you know the evidence proves to be credible. And so it seems like that's the case. But um, anyway, beyond that, documents emerged over time because the FBI vault documents in 2019. Um, and that happened through all these different FOIA requests and and they clearly 
they they don't link with the official narrative, you know. So, but I do. Uh, I oh, I want to mention that there are four key researchers that I should at least shout out because they are like they. I'm really standing on the shoulders of giants when it comes to a lot of this case, and that includes Derek Bros from the Conscious Resistance, who did, I think he even did a, a documentary on this. Um, and then Elizabeth Voss did a series of articles uh, published at Mint Press News, and she's she's a killer. I really love reading her work. Uh, John Brisson, I think he's even writing a book actually on this, which should be out at some point. And I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not on his Substack, but I know he does really great work on that uh, front, especially on this case. But um, and then Nick Bryant, you know, Nick Bryant's just OG. I mean, the Franklin scandal. And uh, and I mean, I think he was even responsible for the initial black book and Epstein being published in Gawker, actually. But um, he's just a great like he, I think he did Confessions of a DC Madam as well. And that kind of links. There are actually overlapping connections uh, that I want to dig further into at some point that, uh, you know, link the two cases a little bit more than you would think. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so I do like I, this. I want to mention this. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say the uh, I, most of those I don't even know. I can vouch for bros for a little bit. I've, I've always I think he was actually who introduced me to the, the finders concept forever ago. Mm-hmm. I don't remember through what form, but yeah. And then I definitely dug into it a little bit. And then it was kind of like, you know, it takes so many times of like you're looking into a piece of content before it gets more in, embedded in your head. Because at that point, yeah. it was just an idea that floated around that like huh, that's weird. It seems like this may have happened. And I think the disrespect of this one is that it was, it's like, I feel like they are denying it, but they're not like, if, like, if I'm looking at this, like a big picture view of like how the CIA is approaching this, it's like, Mm -hmm. they're like denying it, but not really. They're not really trying. It's so long ago that it's one of those ones that they're like, this is something that happened like the fucking eight, like, Mm -hmm. like they're like some cult that was formed in like the fifties or some bullshit. You're like, like who cares about that like that's kind of the vibe it's, it just comes off as disrespectful like yeah, i don't know if that you get that vibe digging into the story oh, but that's yeah. the vibe i've always gotten from the finder's cult oh definitely. like yeah here's this bombshell of like information that you could probably like imply out of this and yeah well and, and you're right and like <laughs> the the overwhelming claim is that all of this is uncorroborated it's not corroborated right like none of none of uh, Ramon Martinez's work, the U.S. Customs officer, who basically, you know, I use as my primary source, you know what I'm saying? Because it, mm-hmm. he pretty much makes the case. And from everything I can tell, like that guy's credible as hell. And he and him, as well as Detective Bradley for the initial detective, I believe he was the Washington uh, Metro metropolitan police department investigator but that was working along with him but there there were definitely individuals who were working this case that really meant well they had good intentions and they wanted to get to the bottom of it you know and and it seems like they were overruled and from everything i could tell i didn't get into detail on what happened to martinez after all this but it basically his career was over you know, I mean, he he didn't <laughs> this was it for him. You know what I mean? And there was no other reason than he would not let this go, you know, mm-hmm. and and I admire him for that. But to this day, I think even Derek Bros uh, did personally contact him off the record. And basically, he told Derek that uh, he he wasn't like, what's the point? He said they're not going to reopen an investigation like, you know, and so he just felt like I can understand him feeling that way after everything that's happened. I mean, but anyway, I just thought I, it was. I get it. I disagree, yeah. but I get it because I do I think do there's too. value in d- taking these things and bringing them to light now. And like, even if there isn't a substantial like justice action you see as a result, because I think just that has its own it ends up working that effect out in its own way just by making it known like we know bitch (laughs) (laughs) for real (laughs) like and Uh, because that's a feeling i've got or kind of replies have gone from okc stuff sometimes because it's like there's still some new stuff being unearthed here and there and it's like such a big like when people under start wrapping their head around it and if you can get people's eyes on it now you're like 
think about the implications of this think about the implications of that like what the fuck does this mean yeah (laughs) these people rule you (laughs) Mm -hmm. seriously man. but but sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but yeah i think there is value but i understand the hopeless and being like at the very least he's like he's probably like feels like he's not gonna be able to get any sort of like media stir around it really and also it's like also on top of that there's not going to be any sort of direct action and he's right there there almost certainly isn't (laughs) when you're dealing with something this long ago but yep. I mean, not I mean, it should be, but right. will it? No, <laughs> yeah. I don't think so, buddy. Yeah, but the very but. least, I'd be content with telling a large audience that, hey, right. this is what these people do and get away with. So, what exactly. do you think they're doing now? Exactly. <laughs> like, if there was exactly. one Epstein, there's a network of Epstein's. <laughs> Thank you. That's not hard to to. I mean. I, yeah, I get not, it. There had to be other economic, like or other business plans, like you know, working the same basic concept. Right. Like, <laughs> I mean, blackmail and specifically sexual blackmail seems to be a currency of of these elites. You know, I mean, it's it, this is a system where we need a file on you for you to be allowed in the game. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's how it seems. Yeah. And I mean, otherwise... look at the. I mean, I'm not trying to get this into. I know a lot of people might. I mean, actually, I don't know. I know my audience. They won't give a fuck. But like, if you look at the recent, like, like the fucking anti-Semitism bill that was put through, right. Massey was the lone guy. And like, he just yeah. put out a meme today, but like, you know, had something to do with like talking about Zionism and patriotism and like kind of pointing out that all of Congress is basically in the pocket of Zionism. And like mm-hmm. people would, would have swore he, he, he called the, called them all kikes or something right. like like nah, what, what the, like like what the fuck are they that in the pocket and like i get it people have their justifications for maybe believing one right. way but that overwhelming of a number you're like come on yeah it's like absurd, come, really like no one doesn't think hey maybe it's a little silly that we're going to conflate uh yeah. hating jews with hating israel or well, not thinking know. israel should exist or whatever right and, and, and <laughs> <laughs> well, uh I do like to that point, Whitney Webb, I believe she reported um, that. Uh, what did you just say, man? It just spurred this. Oh, we're, we were talking about the APAC stuff, and I'm assuming you're probably going to oh, yeah, 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 yeah. go okay, on so, to Mossad about that. <laughs> well, all I was going to mention, yeah. and I'm not going to say that Jeffrey Epstein is 100% confirmed Mossad or whatever. I'm not going to say that, I, but I will say that clearly the CIA and Mossad, like, you know, they work together. Right. Quite a bit. And but here's the other weird connection. Ehud Barak, I mean, a prime minister of Israel. I mean, he was hanging out with Epstein. He basically um, the promise software scandal was all connected to Ehud Barak and Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell and that network. And I think Christine Maxwell, uh, I think, is the one who's in Silicon Valley, who's like, you know, that's basically been her role. Right. Was was to uh, to. Uh, to participate in you know in the tech industry so i don't know it's 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 unusual though like you know why would a prime minister you know and i guess the israeli promise software that they were selling to all these governments all over the the world they could just hack into a back door and it wasn't a hack i mean it was an open back door for them to to access at any point and so whoever bought and implemented the promise software was compromised you know no matter what Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's a clear connection that I just find insane. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just thinking the con- conceptually because we mentioned the, the child porn thing and how that screws you over. Just right. interacting with Epstein from a power position right. screws you over in the context of allowing you to have uh, independence because yeah. you could because the, just the idea because we're even speculating here of like, say some guy, he could have had some sort of legitimate business but as so as long as this guy has this other thing going off the thing he now is incentivized to keep this under wraps because if it comes out just the simple fact he's had a slew of business dealings with him even if he was not aware at some point or whatever now it's like fuck now i some sort of have to have this guy's back to the extent Mm -hmm. that it won't burn me (laughs) so like you know, just that, that concept right there, the idea that just even interacting with these blackmail characters, it really insulates the security of the blackmail operation. <laughs> it really does, man. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. But so I'll start just I want to read like three lines from uh, um, from Elizabeth Voss, um, because she did this, man. I love the way she introduces this. It's very brief, but it's so, it's such a 
uh, well-written. It's just such a well-written piece. I love her whole series. So, but anyway, everybody, I encourage to go read that definitely. But so at Mint, Mint Press News, Elizabeth Voss, she said, she reported and she wrote that the story is further complicated by the fact that it takes place in three basic stages. The initial 1987 investigation spread across multiple states and law enforcement agencies. A subsequent 1993 inquiry into allegations of a CIA cover-up and interference in the 1987 investigation and the emergence of custom service documents detailing new aspects of initial searches of finders' properties, which was followed by the publication of hundreds of documents from both investigations to the FBI vault in 2019. So basically what I said earlier, but she's, this is the part that's uniquely hers. She says, by initially sensationalizing the issue via the framing of the finders as a satanic cult, the media profited from immediate shock value while permitting this very sensationalism to become the premise for dismissing other aspects of the story and finders ties to the CIA to remain unexplored. And I just thought that was, it was really great way to just briefly introduce it, but also, you know, I, I, I agree. The sense the, the sensationalism was out of control in regard to the media reporting in response to this, especially in the initial reports. And it was how it was inevitably swept under the rug so easily was just another satanic panic. It's a part of a moral panic is what they were, you know, uh, trying to convince us. But I mean, it, even the Washington Post, they reported at the time in an article published February 7th, 1987, merely three days after the initial arrest that authorities investigating the alleged abuse of sex uh, of sex geez, of six children found with two men in a Tallahassee Florida park discovered materials yesterday in the Washington area that they say points to a 1960s style commune called the Finders described in a court document as a cult that allegedly conducted brainwashing and used children in rituals DC police who searched a northeast Washington warehouse linked to the group removed large plastic bags filled with color slides, photographs, and photographic contact sheets. Some photos visible through a bag carried from the warehouse at 1307 Northeast 4th Street were wallet-sized pictures of children similar to school photos, and some were of naked children. D.C. police sources said some of the items seized yesterday showed pictures of children engaged in what appeared to be cult rituals. Officials of the U.S. Customs Service called in to aid in the investigation, said that the material seized yesterday includes photos showing children involved in bloodletting ceremonies of animals and one photograph of a child in chains. Customs officials said they were looking into whether a child pornography operation was being conducted. So that was right after the arrest. Washington Post is reporting and and I mean that's basically they're they're reporting what Martinez would say in his customs report, which I just thought that that because all of these articles for the most part have almost entirely been censored or somehow 404 in a way, and it's 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 absurd trying to research this, and really anything um, anything that's in relation that's more in modern day, good luck, my friend. I mean, <laughs> Pizzagate alone, everything's 404, you know? Um, but anyway, <clears throat> so first, I think that it is important that we should cover some of the general information found in the U.S. Customs Report, mm -hmm. as well as some additional information provided by the FBI vault documents and Tallahassee Police Report, because the Tallahassee Police Report is like definitely the most detailed, you know, that that I could find. But you know, you can only, it, it's like I said, it was difficult. So you're piecing together a lot of different things. I would really love if somebody would have put together an archive that was easily accessible, you know, from with all of these different documents, because it is very difficult, right, uh, oh, yeah. to, to maintain oh, yeah, the, any of the, them personally. I don't know if you're like mentioning this intentionally, but like with the OKC stuff, we have the, 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 the Institute and that is like, 
a godsend for this really for the because it really is if so for researchers like typing in just like you, you mean like literally with the okc one at the libertarian institute like it's like all the shit it's the largest uh, public archive you just type in geeky or trying to do or it's amazing john doe too and then it'll bring up all the articles and and uh, documents related to it and, and whatever mm-hmm. like that shit is a nightmare for people trying to dig into it and it, some, especially when you're digging into more esoteric shit like this oh my gosh yeah it really is and and then once you see the the overlapping connections with members of the finders and 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 you know some people in intelligence circles it seems then it it becomes even more difficult because i mean apparently they had even through their contacts had gotten uh uh articles um you know basically canceled before they were even published right like at really prominent you know, news organizations that I, I just thought that was, man, of course, right? If you have connections, you know, but so based on uh, those documents that I just mentioned and the customs report specifically, because I think that's the best one to start with. Um, the first page is just, you know, Special Agent Walter Crete Lowe, who, who he's the one who um, you know, signed it and wrote wrote most of this very first part before um, uh, Martinez, Ramon Martinez, would actually take over on uh, on the reporting in the case. But um, so, Agent Walter Creetlow, he, uh, him, and then the resident agent in charge, Frederick Heideck, they basically were the ones who approved this original customs report. And what agency, to be clear, which agency is that the FBI? This is the United States Customs Service. Oh, Customs. I'm retarded. Right. Oh, yeah. You no, said that good. earlier. I just you want to clarify because there's agent, agent. So I'm like, are, or, or, oh my God. And then, like, are there multiple agencies? Because you're going to be there are, there's yeah. going to be. So. And yeah, it's basically it's because once the Tallahassee Police Department reported this significant child abuse as well as uh, potential child pornography, um, immediately cus- U.S. Customs was... was um, um, uh, they had to reach out to U.S. Customs because they had a, a child pornography protection unit, apparently, that was specifically dealing with that. And so that's why they had also it had crossed state lines. And so that's why, you know, the FBI had gotten involved very quickly as well. And then there was an ongoing investigation into the finders that was already taking place in the Washington Metropolitan Police Department at the time. And so when they heard of the arrests, in uh, Tallahassee, Florida, um, they basically reached out and and got into contact with Tallahassee Police Department and started to try and work together, I guess, allegedly at the beginning in order to uh, to get to the bottom of this. And that's where all the warrants happened to the finders properties. But so pretty much (laughs) the (laughs) the customs. So the office was the, the Customs Service office was contacted by the Tallahassee Police Department on February 5th, 1987. And they requested assistance in attempting to identify two adult males and six minor children, all taken into custody the previous day. The men arrested and charged with multiple counts of child abuse were being very evasive with police in the questions being asked of them, pursuant the children and their condition. So Agent Cretlow contacted Agent Bob Harold resident agent in charge in Reston, Virginia, and requested telephone numbers and names of police persons and area police departments in an attempt to follow up on two leads, which were a Virginia license number, and that the children had commented about, and it was based, I think it was only the oldest child. Uh, she was, I, I think, six. I don't think she was seven yet. And she was the only one who was verbal. All the, all the rest were mute, basically. That it was, and most of them were extremely young as well, but, but yeah, the oldest was six at top, top seven, but I think she was six, but she was the only one they could actually speak with. And so when they talked to her, that's how (laughs) apparently she commented about living in a Washington DC commune. And so subsequently the office, the United States Customs Service office received a telephone call from the Washington DC Metropolitan Police Department and they were inquiring about the men and children. So 
the U.S. Customs Service Office put the MPD and the TPD in contact with each other, like I said. So this is when Customs Special Agent Ramon Martinez got involved because he wrote and penned a memorandum uh, and uh, he also participated in the searches of two of the finders properties in Washington. So on Thursday, February 5th, 1987, the office was contacted via telephone by Sergeant Joanne Van Meter of the Tallahassee Police Department. So this is still the customs office. It's just more detailed. And <clears throat> on Thursday, yeah, like I said, February 5th, 1987. Okay, so Van Meter was, she was a part of the juvenile division and was a, and was a sergeant as well. And she requested assistance in identifying the two males and six minor children who were ages seven years to two years. But like I said, it's kind of weird because they mentioned she's six and then they say she's seven. So who knows? But it was two to seven, something like Could that. Have been a birthday during between uh, yeah, probably <laughs> yeah. between reports. <laughs> it's probably yeah, it's probably what happened. But so the adult males at first were only tentatively identified by TPD, Tallahassee Police Department, as 28 year old Michael James Hallwell. And he was first identified as Mike Houlihan because he was going uh, based on an alias. And then 27 year old Douglas Edward Ammerman, who both lived in the Washington, D.C. area and uh, were arrested that previous day on ch charges of child abuse. And so the police had received an anonymous telephone call, like I said, relative to two well-dressed white men wearing suits and ties in Myers Park, Tallahassee, watching six dirty and unkempt children in the playground area. Houlihan and Ammerman were near a 1979 Blue Dodge Sportsman van bearing a Virginia license plate, the inside of which was later described, and this is when it gets weird as hell, as foul-smelling, filled with maps, books, letters, computer programming disks, a TSR-80 computer, a Chinese-English dictionary, a piece of paper titled The Ballad of Ballots, which allegedly made references to finders' properties in Miami, San Diego, Hawaii, and even China. There was a pack of Trojan condoms, a mattress situated to the rear of the van which appeared as if it were used as a bed, and a brown canvas bag containing nude photos of children. And they even reported that the overall appearance of the van gave the impression that all eight persons were living in it. And so the children were, and there's reports that they were covered in bite, in bite marks. And they first said bug bites. But then there's a more detailed report that says the Tallahassee Police Department originally claimed that the children were covered with bite marks potentially belonging to an adult human. And so... They were very dirty, appearing to have not been bathed for many days, and most of the children were not wearing underwear, right? I think one of them even said, I think that that older girl, she said that the last time she ate was like she ate one orange like that morning or something. And so it's just such a crazy story, man. You know what I mean? Like, But <clears throat> so the children were covered with those bites, like I said, were very dirty, didn't seem to be washed at all. And most of the children weren't wearing underwear. So it was also noted in the initial medical examination. This is so crazy. The children showed signs of malnutrition. And that's what a lot of people tried to explain it as later on. They would say that it was their diet, that they were basically operating on this, this uh, unhealthy vegan diet that, you know, could have led to the uh, original uh, report that he, the bo one of the boys lacked sphincter control or something was was uh, what they said, and um, yeah, it got real intense. But yeah, <laughs> <clears throat> sorry, I'm trying not to get too graphic, you know. But yeah, uh, anyway, so, yeah. I, um, mean, it, it, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I mean, obviously, we sh shouldn't revel in these details, but right, these are right. details that kind of. Like in, if these are in reports, you can draw conclusions mm. from what that could mean. Sure, that could mm. be a bad diet, but when you add all the other factors, it doesn't be picture. So exactly, yeah. yeah. And so, <clears throat> besides the report of malnutrition, the original claim by the Tallahassee Police Department uh, Department was that the children had potentially been sexually abused, right? And so 
and by the way, this became pretty controversial once this doctor, <laughs> Dr. Naaman H. Greenberg, who was a Chicago psychiatrist and was hired by the Florida Department of Health and Rehabilitative Services, and he was sent there to examine the children. And then he stated that there were no signs of recent sexual or physical abuse, casting doubt on the initial claims made by police. So here's the inter interesting connection to this Dr. Naaman Greenberg, who he had he had been the champion for the defense in the McMartin preschool sexual abuse case. And that case seems to have shown more legitimate evidence for actual physical abuse taking place. That was and the one that was it, also like a satanic panic thing, right? Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, dude. Yeah, and, so he's and, popping up for these satanic panics. Yeah. He's he's like this was a common thing you would see uh, with some of the elites as they would market themselves as like this is their 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 spot of research. So this is yep. why I'm coming in here. So exactly. You know, same it's with Jolly West. He's very yeah. much about. He was very into studying cults. Yep. Uh, that's how he gets caught up with the Manson crowd. So, mm -hmm. uh, but yes, yeah, so it was like a, a big ha like. He wrote a bunch of papers, and so now he gets to market himself as the cult guy. Uh, yeah. You know, well, that's weird. <laughs> Why is it all right. these cults seem to have all these other connections going that's on? That's what I mean. It's dude. almost as if these things are just serving your purposes. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's even more than that because, yeah, he was brought in, um, you know, for the defense for the preschool sexual abuse case. But other than that, uh, well, and this is even crazier in in regard to that McMartin preschool case. So apparently he studied the questioning techniques of Kathleen McFarlane, who was the director of Children, Children's Institute International and the social worker responsible for interviewing 400 children for the McMartin preschool trial. So at first, he generally behaved as though he agreed with her findings. But in public pronouncements, Greenberg later stated that McFarlane coerced accusations out of, of abuse from the children and goaded them into making slanderous allegations. So Key McFarlane would later testify to Congress that she believed there was an organized nationwide conspiracy of individuals and orthodox satanic groups sexually abusing children. Which One sounds final. crazy until you have it the does. other information. It does. <laughs> One so they, I'm note. assuming the media was like, look at this fucking wacko. Right. Exactly <laughs> what happened. It's like, bitch was probably right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly, dude. So one final note on this Dr. Greenberg. He also happened to play a prominent role in covering up the significant evidence of sexual abuse in the 1984 Jewish Community Center preschool case in Chicago. And so the JCC, uh, and, and I didn't hear about this until... I was researching, you know, uh, this specific case, but it seems like there's a lot of different, there's, there's quite a bit of reporting on the JCC case, the Jewish community center preschool that in uh, the Chicago area that had a lot of different allegations of sexual abuse for children as well, which, and, and more than that, similar, uh, reports of satanic ritual abuse, which was just, you know, I mean, it was this is all happening in less than five years. You know, I mean, it's extraordinary to me. But it makes sense why people would be, you know, so eager to buy into that narrative as plausible, right? I mean, at least it does to me. But <clears throat> anyway, so right, meanwhile, actually, back before we start getting into the actual them following up, uh, I yeah. think we may be at a good time, unless you think there's a better spot spot to stop it, because uh, we can uh, we can save more for next episode. Because okay. I think we, we we've hit a lot, and I think we'll I think it's as good stuff. I'm liking where it's going. Awesome, uh, I mean, good. That sounds like fucking awful considering the topic. Oh, but, right, you know, right. <laughs> but but you know <laughs> what I mean. Uh, fucking. But I think like a good you know pausing point before we continue for the next episode would probably be before they start actually getting into the warrants and stuff like that. So yeah. I guess if you think there's any other information that we can mention before we get into that, uh, otherwise this might be a good spot. Uh, it so, really uh, is a good segue. Yeah. I was about to go right back into you know oh, the finders in Tallahassee, but oh so. no no I mean if you have more like expository stuff, but I was oh, saying no. before we get further along in the timeline, like so far as like. Uh, the actual like the warrants and stuff because right. we've set down for the, the the audience right now that like that all right here's the initial find 
Right. So like, and, and I where think are we I'm going from that, here? Yeah. yeah. So I think we're good with that. Okay. Uh, well, dude, I've really, really appreciated it. Uh, I do want to like definitely shout out your show. Was the Underclassmen podcast? I believe, right? Uh, it's the uh, Underclass podcast. Underclass. Okay. My bad. <laughs> but I know that sounds shitty. Plugging it, but no, you're good, uh, brother. <laughs> but no, for real. When I when I discovered his podcast, I did a dive and I watched a shitload of them. Uh, they're all really good. Uh, I think I'll, we'll see good things coming from you going forward because you already have this like base set down of like. Here's all this shit I'm like I fucking know and I can talk to you about. So I'm excited to see what other shows you get on. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we mentioned it. Like you did. Like I f- literally found you on fucking Sam's show on Tim Four Hat, <laughs> and you were talking about all the shit I like to talk about and like, but coming at it from a slightly different angle. So I was like, huh. For me, it's like I want to like pick his brain. And uh, yeah, you're talking about like PatCon, fucking, and also this kind of stuff. And I dug through your, your material. It was the same shit. But then I like when I, and I was like, you know what? I want to get this guy on my show at some point to cover something. And then I like was looking for you. I looked for him on Twitter. And I was like, this motherfucker DM'd me. He DM'd <laughs> me back when he had one episode. He was like, hey, man, check this out. And I felt like a dick because I had heart <laughs> reacted it. And like I didn't actually follow up. <laughs> but I was like, I, I didn't remember the DM at all. So I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm usually trying to be responsive <laughs> when I get. So I'm like, I guess I fucking just like accidentally forgot to come back to that one. But I was like, shit he fucking showed me <laughs> but uh no it's cool it's cool seeing the good things happen for people like that uh i expect to see you in a lot of other shows uh going forward but uh if you want to plug your plug your show yourself tell them where they can find you that kind of stuff that'd be good all right so my podcast like i said it's the underclass podcast you can follow me on instagram at the underclass podcast on twitter i'm at underclass pod and uh jose thank you so much brother like you, your work with Richard on OKC and everything that you're doing with Terrence Yakey and <laughs> Kenneth Trinidu, man. I mean, like it inspires the hell out of me. And that's one of those three cases, man. Ruby Ridge, OKC and um, uh, Waco, you know, yeah. I mean, they just absolutely red pilled me. Right. That that was my awakening was were those three cases and. And all the work that, that you've done on it, I just, I admire you, brother. Well, I appreciate it. And I, I really am looking forward to see you making the rounds because uh, I think like, you know, I'm no, I, I, I mean, I appreciate the, the praises, but I'm no great guy, but I know, I am aware that I have kicked up a lot of dust and like I, and, but then when I see someone like you, then I'm like, damn, he's really, he's good at fucking, he's good at delivering these punches, talking about this stuff. I'm like, I know now that you're going to start getting the mix. I'm like, this guy can kick up dust too. And like, when if I'm kicking up dust, I'm also kicking up dust. That's how you make shit happen. And it's like the more people we can get out there fucking that can be like concise, you know, find that balance being being, between being able to do these fucking long research things. And then also being able to like go on shows and be punchy and be like, boom, boom, boom. Like it's a, it's a, it's a talent that you have to cultivate. And I really think you're, you're, I I see talent and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to see where this goes. Because I, uh, but yeah, uh, but yeah, for those who want to follow me, uh, I'm uh, this is on YouTube, this is No Way Jose Show. I'm also on all the audio podcatchers, I'm on Odyssey and Rumble as well. Follow me on X or whatever, Twitter at Tower Gang Jose. Uh, support me at patreon.com. No Way Jose 2020. Like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. I'm very much looking forward to the other episodes. Stick around so we can schedule uh, as soon as we end this. And we are out. <laughs>